to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I give thank, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I, I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in, in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Hallelujah. I wonder if I was to do a, a hand count and ask this morning, has anybody not had any troubles this year so far? No, we've all had troubles. You know, because troubles are a part of life. Difficulties are a part of life. And I often think when I see these, um, these preachers um, on God TV or some of the other channels coming out with statements of, come to Jesus and all your problems will be over. I often want to punch the screen in, you know. You know and if it was a live audience, I would be up there giving them a slap and saying to them, listen mate, when I became a believer, my problems started. My troubles began. My difficulties increased because of owning the name of Jesus. I had friends who didn't want me anymore. I had parents who weren't going to come to my wedding. All sorts of things happened. I was told I was living a terrible life. All because of putting my trust in Jesus. Because troubles um, do come. And troubles are part of the Christian life. And I, I want to speak about that this morning. Because... Um, when Paul writes to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy who is in a difficult place, but he's writing also from a prison where he is in a difficult place. He's been deserted by people. He's facing imminent death by beheading. And yet in the midst of it all, as you read through all these letters, you never once find that the Apostle Paul drops into a moaning syndrome. In fact, he, he reports this, he says, you know, there are some who are preaching the gospel to get me in trouble. And he doesn't look at them and say, so I'm going to pray that God will curse them with leprosy and they'll, they'll have limbs fall off because of this horrible deed. He says, you know, I bless God. The gospel's being preached anyway. 
You know, he never falls into this cursing and uh, rebuking and moaning mode. He just says, I rejoice. I'm going to praise God. The gospel's being preached by whatever means. It's happening. And all through his letters, you know this, this pattern that he, he never moans. He never says, oh, you know, poor me, I'm the apostle, I saw the vision of Christ, I heard the words of God, this man's my chosen instrument to take my message and my name before Gentiles and rulers and kings and authorities, and I'll show him how much he must suffer. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'd have heard that call from God, I would have been going, no, time out here, Lord. Kings, rulers, authorities, bring it on. Suffering, pain and shame, we need to negotiate this because I don't do pain very well. But, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't because he knew it was part of his call. And so he doesn't back off for it and he doesn't moan. He doesn't say, this is not fair. I've been beaten with rods five times. I've been stoned. I've been threatened in death. I've been through all these difficulties. You never, you never see once that he moans or complains. Because I believe that there were some secrets that he'd learned about going through difficulties and being triumphant in them and through them because of who he is. And I believe that it's not, it's not a hidden mystery. But he makes it very clear, I believe, to Timothy who's going through difficulties at the same time. Paul's deserted, he's in prison, he's facing death by beheading. But he's not moaning, he's not complaining, he's not criticising or condemning others. He's staying focused. And you know, in the midst of difficulties, what happens is the circumstances and the situation, it fights for your attention to come upon it. Because if it gets your attention to focus on it alone, it becomes an idol in your heart that you're more besotted with than with Christ. And what the Apostle Paul does in his first secret, I believe, is he stays focused on the fact that he's a disciple and who he belongs to. And he knows that the difficulties, and he said it at least twice in that short passage we've read, that he's suffering purely because of the gospel. You know, Jesus gave a great promise to believers. He says, in the world, you will have trouble. Anybody claim that this week? Yeah. You know, you never find that promise in the promise box, do you? <laughs> yeah. In the world, you will have trouble. Bring it on, Lord. But then he goes on and he says, you know, but be encouraged. I've overcome. In other words, let your focus be on me because I've overcome. I'm the one who has endured the shame of the cross because of the joy that was before me. I've looked beyond the temporary sufferings. So Paul stays focused because he knows who he is. And that's why I believe that you see so often in, in all these letters he starts off, Paul, an apostle by the, of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He makes a great affirmation. I'm an apostle. In 1 Timothy, he says, I'm an apostle by the command of God. And you see that constantly in his letters. I'm an apostle by the command of God, by the will of God. And it's a powerful declaration. In another place, he says this, you know, I'm an apostle, not chosen by men, but chosen by him. This isn't the idea of a group of people who said, oh, hey Paul, we think we'll, we'll make you into an apostle. I've noticed this in reading Christian magazines. We've got an abundance of apostles these days. Everybody's got a business card with apostle on. Some have got multi-titles. 
Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, the anointed one. I think they, you know, they, they, they try to edge into Trinity. They, you know, they've got so much gifting. Right? Because they take all these titles that somebody else has given them, or they take for themselves, and Paul comes right into it and he says, by the will of God. This is by the will of God. I didn't make this up, folks. I'm an apostle, so I'm going to stand on that by the will of God. And that declaration is so important. Because he says, that's why I'm suffering, because of what God has called me as. It comes part and parcel with the territory. Now you might say this morning, but my, my troubles are not because I'm an apostle. No, but you're a son of God. And you know that's an important declaration to make in the midst of difficulties to pray, God, I am your child. I am staying focused upon you. You are my redeemer, my king, my saviour, my lord. You are my God. And you have bought me with a price. I'm your responsibility. You know when you start making declarations about who you are in Christ and what he has done for you, it doesn't have to make you feel better. But it changes something in the heavenlies. Because your focus becomes upon who he is and what he has done for you rather than the circumstances that you face. And I believe it's so important in our prayer life to declare the truth of the kingdom of God in how we pray and how we see ourselves. You know, we, uh, I, I was telling um, Kevin and Hazel yesterday, um, we, you know, we, we moved out of the country in um, 2007. We got an invitation from a, from a church in Canada and um, was offered a, a position there on the staff of the church and, and everything like that. And uh, we, were, we were given a letter of invitation. And, uh, and so what we did is we ended up selling our house in Manchester that had been the family home for 20 years. Um, it made my, my eldest daughter homeless. She had to move in with some friends. We sold up everything. We had to give all the electrical stuff away because you can't take it with you. It's different voltage. And, uh, and we moved there only to find out that we've, we've moved and we've had this great promise of all what's going to happen and everything. And not one little thing came to pass. We, we were left in a, in a okay, an English-speaking country um, but as I said to somebody, we were led up the garden path to find out there wasn't a garden. And, and we were there, we were stuck there for a year. And there was very little work, there was little income. And there were times when, you know, I confess, I cried. There were times when I was in anguish of heart of seeing my wife crying herself to sleep saying, what have we done? And yet knowing that we'd done the right thing, we checked it out, we had prophetic words from people who didn't know the situation, all the indications would go that our house sold within a couple of weeks without boards and flyers, all the indications were this is the way, we put out the invitation to other trusted leaders and said you know, check this out and see what you think, is God in this? Everyone came back, yes, God's in this and so we set off thinking that was it we'll never come back to England apart from holidays and to see the kids and grandkids and then it all goes pear shape and in your moments of anguish you're crying out to God saying God what has happened the whole deal has cost us 20,000 pounds and not cost them a penny and we're left in the lurch in a strange land with no relatives around few friends everything we'd been promised had gone and it was in the midst of that time where I found that, you know, that it was, why does God allow these things? My prayer became, God, you're in this. Because you never, this has not taken you by surprise. 
You knew about this even before I was born, even before I was saved. You knew that this would happen. Therefore, if you knew this would happen, my focus is upon you. And I'm going to trust in you with it. Now that didn't take away the tears because there were still times where I was down on my knees and I was weeping and saying, God, I'd love to see an end to this. Can you make something happen? Bring in another opportunity. Open up another door. And nothing happens. And it was almost as if you're walking in a lonely valley. And then suddenly you realize, yeah, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear because you are with me. I can't see you, Lord. I can't feel I got into a place where I couldn't even sense the presence of God at some time. But I would just keep on saying, God, I'm going to keep focused upon you because I know that you're with me in this. I had to pray affirmation. God, you are still my God. You are still the one who has bought me. You are still the one who has called me. I don't understand what's going on. And I remember one day saying, God, will you show me, tell me what it's all about? And I got an answer from God. And he simply said this, Paul, I'm not telling you. I'm saying, God, that is so discouraging. Why won't you tell me why you've led me this way? Why won't you tell me? And the answer came as clear as anything. Because I'm God and you're not. I thought, well, I can't argue with that one. God, why? And it was almost a case of of like, I don't understand God, but I've got to trust you in it. So in the midst of the difficulties, it was a case of saying, God, I'm going to make an agreement here. I'm not going to criticise the situation because if you've trusted me with it, I can trust you in it. I'm not going to criticise those who have let me down. And, and, and I found myself, you know, you know, I found myself becoming very close to Paul in his difficulties, but extremely close to Joseph in the dungeon and in the pit. And, and, saying, and saying, God, you know, others have meant this, not willfully, for my harm. But you mean it for good, but I can't see it. So sustain us. And we found that as we kept focused on, on, on who I was in Christ, the little things of the kingdom of God would just start to happen. I'd, I'd come home, we'd go out for a drive and a walk and we'd come home. There'd be a box of groceries on, on the thing, on the back of the house. I'd say, God, you, you are so good. And, and then we'd meet people who would be saying, well, we'd heard that you come and we've been watching you. And, and you don't know why you're in Canada, but you're here for us. Because we've been going through difficulties and we're amazed. And I'm thinking, God, I don't understand this. But there was a trust there. In it. So I want to say to you this morning, if you're going through difficulties and you're saying to God, God, why? And you're not getting any answers. He doesn't have to answer you. He just said, trust me. Take hold of my hand and let me walk you through it. But God, I don't understand. That's where faith comes in. You don't understand. Why was Paul in prison? He, he didn't understand. What's he about? Preaching the good news. An apostle to the Gentiles. Wanting to take the word out. And yet now, he's facing death. But he's still making this affirmation of who he is in Christ. And I believe that is, that is a major key in our life. Because it's so easy, especially you've been in a place where your difficulties are caused by other Christians especially, who may have hurt you, said things about you, or even done the dirty on you. The natural reaction is, I want to put my case forward. I want to justify myself. 
And sometimes you have to make a vow with your lips. I will not speak evil against another. Because they're still God's kids. And so we made, we made, Christy and I made, and it was hard at times to make a pact and just say, Lord, we're going we're gonna to speak blessing upon that couple. We're just going to pray that you will bless them. We don't understand. We don't believe it's been out of evil. But we just pray your blessing on them because you've taken us this path so we can find something in you. And you know what? In the midst of it all, I found that Christine and I, we touched the depth in God that we would never have been able to find. We found that somehow God broke through and brought a richness of intimacy with him into our spirit. And it happened because everything we had had been stripped away. Everything. And I even thought at one time, well God, if you've brought me this way because you don't want me to be in ministry anymore, then that's fine. I'll lay it down. And that was hard. You know, when you've been in ministry for over 30 years, to suddenly come and say, God, if you brought me this way, to strip it all away, then I'll lay it back at your feet again. And you allow him to do what he has to do. Because he's good. Because in the midst of it all, you have to say, God, you're good in it. And you're working. I don't understand it, Lord. But you work with my interests at heart. You don't forget us. You work because my interests are on your heart. So Paul speaks an affirmation of who he is. But then he speaks a blessing to Timothy. You know, sometimes in the beginning of letters, we we skim over that, where he makes the affirmation, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And he says to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He's actually speaking a blessing into Timothy's life. Here he is, in prison, facing the death sentence imminently. He says that at the end of the letter. You know, I'm, I'm ready to be poured out. Hey, but I'm not ashamed. Because I know who I've believed in. He says, Timothy, I'm blessing you. I'm having a tough time, but I'm going to bless you. And it's interesting that in this blessing, in, most, in every one of Paul's letters, he always speaks of a grace and peace from God the Father. He always speaks grace and peace in his blessing. The only letter that he brings in grace, mercy and peace is to the two letters to Timothy. And I believe that the powerful words, when he speaks grace, he's saying, Timothy, focus again on the unmerited pardoning and transforming favour of God upon your life. See it. I know it's there because I'm convinced it's there just like it was in your granny and your mum. It's in you. You've received it. Focus again. That your sins have been forgiven. That you're a child of God. And I believe that's why he uses that word grace to you. See it again. The grace of God is towards you. The unmerited favour. The pardoning and transforming favour of God is for you Timothy. And then he says mercy. Mercy. Because he knows what he's going through. And that word mercy is is an interesting word. It's not not the Roy Orbison. Mercy. In the middle of pretty woman or something. It, it, mean, it carries a powerful sense of Timothy, know the warm, tender affection that God shows to you when you're in a difficult situation. Know it. Don't struggle in it. But know the warm, tender affection 
And I believe that's what Christine and I began to experience when we were in Canada. The warm, tender affection. We couldn't understand. But then so often, we're not called to understand. We're called to trust. And then he says, and peace. Peace, it's not just that a shalom thing. He says, it's a peace that keeps you safe. Having been reconciled to God. And, and that, you know, I, I, I managed to get hold of a, a Hebrew Bible. And it was interesting looking at the, the, how the, the Jewish people see the word peace. Especially, um, you know, in the priestly blessing. And, uh, and it meant this. Or it means this. It says, my completeness without deficiency. I give to you. So when Jesus says, my peace, I give to you. He's saying, my completeness, that's without deficiency, I give to you. I'm making restitution in your life where there is a deficiency to restore you, to make you completely whole as you focus upon the God of peace. And I thought, wow, what a powerful blessing. Because in the midst of difficulties... I'm thinking, God, I can know the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God in its active way, burning and bubbling in my life, that keeps me in a safe place as I'm blessed by God and as I keep my focus upon Him and Him alone. And it's so important that we keep our focus upon Him. Remember, I've already said that Paul refused to be a moaner in tough times. But he chooses to reflect gratitude. I thank God whom I serve. Even though I'm going to have my head chopped off in the next day or two. What a prayer. I thank God whom I serve. Why? You know, because if the Romans have come in and they said, Okay, Paul, tomorrow, if you don't recant this faith of yours, burn incense to Caesar, you're going to get your head chopped off. Then he's thinking, Oh, okay, now just let me think about this. I uh, I burn incense to Caesar or I go to heaven. Ooh, tough choice. So you're threatening me with heaven. Hmm, that's a tough one. Now you see, if we start to see things in those real terms, you can see why Paul suddenly says, you know, I'm going there. I'm I'm laying out my life as a a drink offering. Thank me with thanksgiving to God. Because I've run the race. And I know there's a crown for me. So there's a thanksgiving in his heart. I thank God whom I serve. That's the power of thanksgiving. And I believe it's so important for us in the midst of difficulties to remember who you serve. And in the midst of it, he's still there for you because he's with you. And he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you even to the end of the age. You know, through a tough time, we need to see that he's trusted you with it. You know, God, why am I going through this? Because I've trusted you with it. And you can thank God for it. You know, somebody said to me when, when we got back from Canada, we came back, we spent a year in Canada, then we came back, we didn't have anywhere to live. We stayed with, with some friends in a two-bedroom flat for 16 months. Uh, all our, most of our stuff was in a, a disused classroom in a Christian school. And we were basically living out of one wardrobe and two suitcases. And it wasn't easy. And and in the midst of all that, because I'm thinking, okay, well, when I get back into the Manchester area, you know, things will open up. 16 months. 
And okay, in that 16 months, I spent three or four months working on the mission field overseas. But there, there, was, there was nothing. And I remember in the midst of it all, um, somebody saying to me, so what do you think it was all about? And, and, uh, and I had to say to him, well, I've asked the Lord, and, and I haven't got any answers, I just don't know. And then it was just like a penny dropped. And I said, the only thing I can think of that has just come to me was simply this, that the Lord up in heaven was able to look down and say, see, I told you they would sell everything and move the other side of the world and move back if I asked them to. And, and I thought, folks, I, I can, that is the only revelation I've had on it. That if all he could say was, see, I told you Paul and Christine would go if I asked them to and come back, even though they've lost over £20,000 in the transactions, they would do it because of my call. And, and you know, sometimes, folks, some, we've just got to focus and say, God, if you're, if you're opening up this way of difficulties for me to walk through, then you're doing it so that my faith and my focus upon you would be increased in an incredible way. And that's why Paul, I believe, in the midst of it, gives thanksgiving. And Christine and I got into that place where we were able to, to, to thank God that he trusted us with it. And even though we would be crying and saying, God, we don't understand we would say, God, but we thank you. Because the circumstances don't change your God. The circumstances don't change that I am still saved and seated in Christ in the heavenly places. I'm still a child of God. The call of God is on my life. And that is how we would pray. Prayers of affirmation that we would send to the Father. To keep focus and keep in a place of thanksgiving. And that's why Paul, I believe, pulls Timothy back around in his difficult times. Remember who you serve. Remember the gift that's in you. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through that tough time, remember who you serve. Remember the one who has bought you with a price. And you might have thought, oh, but I never knew it would be this tough as a Christian. You know, it would be a lot tougher if you weren't a Christian. Aren't you glad you got saved? When you did, and you didn't die the day before you got saved. It would have been a lot worse trouble then. It brings it all into focus. Wow God, everything can be stripped away, but they can't take you out of me. And you know, the Apostle Paul, that's, that's, he brings that out. In Timothy, he recants it over and over again. He's saying, look Timothy, stand firm. Stand firm in your circumstances. Stand firm as your granny and your mam have done. And as I do, stand firm. And in the midst of difficulties, it's good to look at other people who have been able to stand firm and overcome. Stand firm as uh, others have done. Draw encouragement from those who have stood and won. And celebrate their victory and proclaim it in your life. Timothy's encouraged to look and reflect on what he's received. The blessings, the gifting of God that's within him. That causes us to rejoice. But you know also, you know, when Timothy is being encouraged here by Paul, and I've looked at this in all Paul's, in all his prison letters, he always says this, uh, phrases like this, he says, uh, you know, um, for I am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Have you ever noticed that? He never once says, that idiot Nero has locked me up. Uh, or I'm here because of the Roman Empire. He never gives Rome or Nero the pleasure. 
He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Why am I in prison? It's the will of God. And I'm in Christ Jesus. It wasn't Rome's idea. It wasn't Nero's idea. It's the will of God. This is the path he he has taken. In fact, I'm going to rejoice because now, because I'm a prisoner, the gospel's been preached in Caesar's household. The direct works, the, the local authority, they've all heard and there's a church there. Head up by the director of public works. Because of me being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not a prisoner of Rome. Don't get the woe is me where your focus is upon your circumstance or your situation or what other people have said or done. Keep the focus upon him and who he is. And that's where victory comes from. Victory answers prayers because Paul gives thanks to it. We're called to suffer. He says we're called to suffer for the sake of the gospel. We leave that out so often. There is a suffering that comes with it. Because of who we are. The devil knows our address now. Before he wasn't bothered. Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But now we're children of the resurrection. You see in tough times. And Paul points this out to Timothy. It's so easy to neglect the gift of God. That's within you. It's so easy not to take care of it. Even to be careless with it. But Paul encourages Timothy. Keep it burning. Fan it into flame. Burn it. You know when I was a kid and we used to have uh, the old coal fire. That was my job at home. Get the fire going in the morning. And my first, I would rake it gently to see if there was any coals that were still glowing. And if they were, I would roll up some newspapers dead tight, fold it up, put it on top. And then I'd put some little bits of wood. And then I'd put some other coal on the top of it. And then my master stroke was I put the shovel up against the hearth and a big sheet of newspaper would go against it I'd open up the grate underneath and you would hear this and I would hold it there as, as the air ignited it and it started to burn and then I would wait till the, the, uh, the, the spade got red hot and I would wait till the, the paper started to go brown like the beginning of Bonanza and, and, and then I would, I would pull it off quick. Uh, that's, that's a joke if you're over 40, right? If you're under 40, it's just gone, what's bonanza? Yeah. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. You know, you, look, your difficulties, you've allowed the gift of God to go down. Fan it into flame again. Fan it into flame. And let it burn. Because the gift is in you. God doesn't take it away. The call and gift of God are without repentance. It's there, fanned into flame. You see, in tough times, it's easy to neglect the gift. And so often in the midst of difficulties, we can say, what's the point of carrying on? Nothing seems to be happening. What's the point in praying? I'm not seeing any answers. And you know what's happening in those times? You're actually siding and agreeing with the demon. Because that's what the enemy says. He comes alongside and says, I don't know why you're bothering praying there, Paul. You're not going to get any answers to that prayer. You've not had any answers for a month. You're not going to get any answers now. It's pointless. You're entering into a pointless exercise. God's not listening to you. He's abandoned you. He's forsaken you. And you can get up and you can go, yeah, what's the point of praying? He's not hearing my prayers. And all what you're doing then is you're agreeing with a demon. Have a look at this about demons. They're liars. And if a liar tells me something, I ain't going to believe him. 
So I'm going to choose not, even in the midst of it, when the echoes in the mind might be saying, what's the point? It's useless. I'm going to be saying, there is a point, because my God hears me. And he said, cast your cares upon me, because I care for you. So I am going to pursue. I am not going to agree with a demon. I'm going to agree with the spirit of the living God. And saying, God, you are still with me. You are still there. You are still for me. You are still interested. Why should we believe the accuser, the deceiver, the liar, the murderer, the thief, the lord of the flies? I mean, there's nothing lovely about his name. So why should we believe anything he says about you? And about your standing with God? When God says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace and obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That grace word again, the unmerited favour of God that comes to you alongside his mercy, the empowerment to help us when we stand in that place of trouble. Why? Because it's all from God. God who wants us to do as Paul says, therefore, having done all to stand, stand. We're called to stand. In fact, I think we're actually called, you know, we might at times be weebles. Remember that? Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. My kids used to have one. You used to be able to push it over and it would come right back up again. I believe that's how, when the enemy pushes us down, we've got to, having done all to stand, we're going to take that position again. And saying, in the midst of all this, God, you are my God. And with you, I can overcome. Because in the end, God is the great reverser. You know, Joseph said this to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God has meant for good. And the Bible says this, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. You know, when Paul wrote that, he didn't think, oh, you know, in the 21st century, this will make a great fridge magnet. <laughs> he actually believed the power of those words. All things will work to good. You know, let me, let me end my story as we close. God was the great reverser. We lost a lot of money. In one stroke, God restored it by giving us a house that was 30 grand under the market value. And the people who did it says, we want to do it because God's told us to. God was the great reverser. Uh, and, and, you know, and when we walked into that house after 16 months of being homeless, the first thing I did was burst into tears and just say, Father, I thank you for your goodness that even though you've walked us through a long, hard path, you are God in it all. You are God and God always has the last word. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through that difficult place, draw courage. He's the reverser. Draw courage because he still wants to affirm you in who you are and what he has called you to. He still wants to be the provider, the nourisher, the restorer, the encourager of your soul. As you turn your eyes away from your, your problems, the difficulties, the frustrations, the accusation even, and the blame... And you say, Lord, I'm going to lay it all down at your feet. And I'm going to look to you, the one who loved me and gave his life for me. 
And if he gave his life for me, is he going to withhold any good gift? Let's stand together and pray.